This is Point of View, a podcast exploring today's digital landscape through a critical lens. Each episode, Gil Rosen, our Chief Marketing Officer at Amdocs, will interview leading authors, entrepreneurs, and experts to help listeners view the online world from a different vantage point and demystify some of your most burning questions. We're discussing everything from fast fashion to the psychology of the internet, underscoring it all with a forward-thinking perspective. Are you ready for the future? Let's get digital. Today, businesses are being forced to engage with their customers in ways they never have before. The world of marketing is changing, and marketers need to remain creative and innovative if they hope to position themselves as leaders in their industry. On this episode of Point of View, Gil sits down with Peter De Benedictus, the CMO for Microsoft in the Middle East and the African region. Peter has a wealth of experience in emerging markets, technology development, and fostering local entrepreneurship. During this episode, Gil and Peter discuss the challenges that marketing teams face today and what's really coming next for the tech world. Here's their discussion. So, Peter, today, you know, we're going to talk about marketing and the future of marketing. So I'm going to start with, you know, the now. What do you consider to be like the most burning issues relating to marketing in this day and age? So for sure, the last 12 months has put marketing very much in the forefront uh, when it comes to engagement with customers at scale in a way that perhaps in the B2B space, it never was before. Uh, B2B sellers typically are, you know, they close the deal, they meet the customer face-to-face and marketing are cutting the background. Suddenly marketing is coming very much in the forefront because we need to engage digitally and they engage digitally at scale. And so it's forced marketing very much into the forefront in a way that I would argued never has been before. And it's forced our marketing teams uh, across the world and Middle East, no exception, that to, to develop digital muscles they never had before, like what we're doing today, was kind of a nice to have for most marketers before, but now it becomes an essential skill because not only do you need to reach customers, but you also need to, in some ways, entertain them and become to like television producers. That's not a skill that particularly B2B marketers were great at. It used to be very much in-person, event-driven. If you, Some studies show that 70 80% of marketing spend in the B2B space was on in-person events. When in-person, in-person events go away, what do you replace that with? And so that's required a massive amount of upskilling, a rethinking of how marketing is an integral part of the sales cycle. It's been uh, it's been really challenging, but also really rewarding. And there's been some really interesting case studies that I can share with you around you know how this digital engagement model has created democratized in some way access to things like technology, skilling, marketing programs in a way that probably would have taken in ten years had it. We've been continuing going the way the path. You know, I think it's amazing. I um, with my teams, I use the terminology that we have become the airline of the company. All the flights have been canceled, literally, and the only way to reach the customer is with us. You know, the video, the the video channel has become 
the de facto way for for interacting with the customers and and, and you're absolutely you're so right you know the the need to provide the information the relevant information for the customer when it comes to the uh, you know whatever product or service is of course the core of everything but then if you just do it in the same way they do all the other meetings from you know from 9 a.m till whenever and you don't try to entertain and you don't try to do something different then it's not going to work and and we have become I mean, I know in, in you know in Amdocs definitely, but I'm sure it's it's a global phenomenon, like a power production powerhouse. It's interesting. We did the pros and cons of this kind of uh, period that we've been through. We have a global event that we hold in Seattle usually every year for developers. It uh, in from Africa. Normally, we would have ma- maximum 100 people attend due to the cost of traveling to Seattle and and, uh, and then the hotel and everything, the visas, everything that goes with that, really not much of an experience for African developers. So 100 maximum. This year, we had 20,000 attendees wow. from Africa. So 120,000. just And not just registered, attended, sat through the workshops, learned, got skilled, on the latest technology. I mean, that's just such a great example of how the pandemic has democratized in some way access to certain platforms that perhaps that were only in person before were impossible to reach for many. And so that's a really interesting example of how a silver lining in what we've been through the last 12 months. And there's a lot of small examples we have in Middle East and Africa around that, but it really... um, it, it, it just shows the power that this digital technology, even though you get some hiccups sometimes in an event where it's, the tech doesn't work. And I think people are a lot more accepting of things, little hiccups here and there because we've all been through them. It's like a delayed but, flight, right? <laughs> yeah, like a delayed flight. Exactly. You're, you're waiting in the uh, in the lounge. Yeah. But that, that's a BBC story where the... the wife was walking in and the kids were disturbing it was such a novelty now i think it's hard to go through an entire day without that happening on a on a on a team's call so yeah it's yes you have hiccups yes the technology doesn't always work perfectly but man what a bridge and what a way of connecting people uh whether it be for marketing or be for things like education i know that we've we turned on millions of students working remotely overnight around the world, uh, tens of millions of you aggregate on a global level that maybe wouldn't have been able to go to school for uh, for months and months at a stretch due to the pandemic. So technology has been, yes, it's been great for marketing, but it's been great in so many other ways as an enabler for, for people to stay connected. Now, to your other point of the question, the biggest challenge I see is what happens next in the next six months when you have mar- some markets coming Out. back online in person? Like Israel is a great example. The UAE is another where in-person events are starting to come back. And you've got others which are still, you know, really tragic uh, situation in India. Turkey is uh, going into a two-week lockdown now. And, you know, there's markets all over uh, around us which have no access to vaccines. How do you then engage both internally if you're a global company like ours, but externally with customers where you have a hybrid 
situation where some people some people want to go back in person, some people don't. Uh, some people, even in markets where they can go in person, choose not to because they're not ready. That is a real challenge for marketers as well. How do you rebalance your marketing mix between digital engagement, in-person engagement, and sometimes hybrid, where you'll be in person and online at the same time? That's you know, a whole new set of skills that we'll need so, to learn. So, so video has definitely been a, an unexpected hero for marketing in the last year. Absolutely. And, and it's something that is, we're not undoing it, right? So marketing is going to become heavily dependent on video. And in many ways, we also have to become, and this is, by the way, I think, right for all business people, we have to get acquainted with camera skills. I think that's not yeah. something that uh, everybody is aware of still, by the way, you know, and it's, it's even the small detail of the camera angle that you choose to do your regular, you know, meeting in all the way to how do you conduct yourself in front of a camera? Because, you know, whether we go back to a hybrid model or whether we continue more on video or whatever mix there is, video will be prominent and people need to know how to behave in front of video. Whereas I think before it was like the selected few who knew how to talk in front of video did it. But I, I actually want to move on to try to kind of take us like uh, five years from now or, you know, the technology before video that everybody talked about relating to marketing and how marketing is really make is like changing is the uh, is is everything that has to do with how marketing is turning to be more of a you know involved with AI and machine learning. How is that impacting this discipline called marketing? Are we is the whole creative side of marketing kind of dwindling down and we have to become like super proficient in AI. Take us forward in your head five years from now. You know, who's the marketeer? What does he have to know? What role does AI slash machine learning play in all this? It's a great point, uh, Gil. I, I've been saying for a while that marketers need to have art. and There's an art and science to marketing, and they need to know both. It used to be that you, I, I remember 10 years ago, you would have your traditional marketers and you have digital marketers. That ship has sailed, but I think this notion of having marketers who are only good at marketing communications, but they leave the business analysis, the data analytics to somebody else to do, I think that ship has also sailed now today. Marketers need to be able to look at data analysis insights to extract new ways of finding value for their brands so that they inject that then into the marketing communications plan that they execute. And then to your point around AI and machine learning, there's a number of parts of marketing that will get automated in a way even more profound than today. If I was a media buyer today, I would be really thinking about how do I add value besides standardized media plans? Because for sure, 90% of that is going to be automated by, um, by algorithms going forward. You feed in who's your audience, what's your target, what's your budget, what, what is the uh, countries that you want to go in, what's the, are you looking for re awareness, demand generation, pipe acceleration, what is the tactic? You feed that into your uh, media buying machine and it will pull, up, pull out a media plan, which I expect will be at 95% good to go with some human tweaks at the very end. Mm -hmm. um, so the way that marketers in the media space can add value is, okay, what will you bring in terms of human ingenuity and creativity to that process that a machine will never be able to do? 
that's probably a couple of years away at most, maybe three. If I think about how we are using machine learning and AI today, and it's only going to get uh, more profound. In the past, B, our B2B marketers would take um, a touch point from a customer. Maybe they open an email, they would attend an event, they would open an, uh, a thank you email, or they fill in a form, and we'd say, that's a lead. Reality is those customers are not in market. Those customers are interested, maybe, in mm -hmm. learning a bit more about your product. But what we would do is we would then say, hey, Joe Smith attended this event. He's a lead. Seller calls and I say, hey, Joe, thank, you know, you're interested in our product. And Joe would say, hey, I just stopped by to say hello to your, uh, your booth. I'm not really interested. Or I open their email. Actually, don't bother me. And in fact, don't ever call me again. And you see that happening at scale with you know digital marketing enabled us to see the customers uh, to engage with them, but it also created a lot of nuisance and false um, sales leads. What we've now started doing is really aggregating up to three hundred different pieces of data around who who is engaging with our content. What's their position in the 300 company? pieces of data per person. Yeah. So that's so, what I want to make sure people understand yes, when you're talking. Yes. So it's like super big data on one, in, on one persona. Exactly. Yeah. So imagine if you have an account with 5,000 contacts, but Peter, Peter is the CMO. Peter is interested in product X. Is product X relevant to his job? Is Peter somebody who can actually make a purchase decision? Is he an influencer in the buying committee? Uh, what is that company's relationship with mine? Are they already a customer or not a customer? When was the last time they bought from us? Did they already buy something so we don't need to try to sell the same product again? And so on and so on. And, there, and you know, as I said, a lot of different algorithms uh, and parameters around this. In the end... You come out with someone who we think is in market, and then that is passed on to a seller. What we found by putting this kind of AI machine learning model into place is that our close rates went up by 30 to 40% because you're putting the right customer in front of the right sales channel at the right time mm -hmm. who are really in market versus just browsing. That's productivity. That's improved revenue. That's, I mean, and that is something that was impossible yeah, and improve customer experience because you're actually bothering the people who are in market and not just... Exactly. So uh, one interesting thing that, that kind of uh, makes me think is when I did my first machine learning exercise, one of the fundamental things you learn about machine learning is that uh, the pattern that the machine finds is not something that traditionally the human mind or what we as marketers did Traditionally, which is to segment the, the you know, the, the potential audience into these traditional buckets, you know, whether it's like uh, teenagers, students, uh, young professionals, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then if you go back to marketing, what we are about is actually telling a story about a product, about a service. And the way you tell the story is also very much dependent on who you're telling the story to, because you're telling it to somebody who's going to buy. And now all of a sudden, because of machine learning, your audience is kind of broken up in a different way because the, the model found that it's not the young student or the young professional. It's some pattern that we as humans cannot even identify that is actually dictating who the perfect buyer is. So how do you think that might play out as far as the storytelling 
is concerned because that is I still consider to be like the the the, the trunk of the of the marketing tree. The best marketing and best campaigns are the ones that speak to in some way an unspoken truth about the customer. And when you see a campaign or an ad or program that resonates, it's like, aha, mm -hmm. that is speaking. Even if it's not speaking to you, you can see how it would speak to Absolutely. someone else. I think that is going to be incredibly hard for a machine to do. I think it will be able to see buying patterns and behaviors and things that, as you quite rightly said, that we probably don't think of because they'll be triangulating different things besides basic stuff like age, gender, income, and so on. They'll, you can train the machine to look at lots of different things and generate different insights. But what you do with those insights and how you make those insights ring true for that audience that they identify, I think that will be very challenging for a machine to match. And that's why I say creative thinking, matching art and science of marketing is where marketing is going to get paid in the future. I think it will be, it, you have to have the art, you have to have the science, and you need to be able to combine both in really interesting, profound ways. And you, you see it already when it happens. Like I said, when you see great marketing, you're like, aha, they really got that. And if you look at, you know, the campaigns that win a can every year, it's not because the, the pictures are great or the videography is, is so fantastic. It's because they speak to us as truth in the customer. Uh, I, I have an, a, an example. I judged the FE Awards a couple of years ago. And one of the campaigns that won was such a simple insight, but was so profound. The, the, car, the car manufacturer recognized that the most new car sales they did was from customers who just got a new job. <clears throat> uh, within six months of getting a new job, they buy a new car. Sounds like an, kind of an obvious one, but you know that nobody had really thought it from an agent perspective. So they built a, they used some, um, they use a digital agency to ascertain uh, and use some machine learning. Every person in a geography who got a new job in a certain income bracket over a period of 12 months. And they then campaigned to those people. That's cool. And said, hey, time for it. You just got a new job. Don't you think it's time to treat yourself to a new BMW? It wasn't BMW, but that you got the idea. And they saw their, their metric was, new test drives uh, in the showroom and the number went up by uh, like a factor of 100, 150% just by gen yeah. insight to action, to campaign, to business outcome. Okay. You know, so and that, that's a great example, I think, of matching both so, art and science. So, so we can keep our jobs for the next five years at least and uh, we're protected uh, for... If, if, if we can do more than just create nice ads or read a spreadsheet, you need to be able to do both. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know what? Another, another, uh, not so far in the future aspect I wanted to ask you about was actually, uh, you know, and I, and I know Microsoft is a very big player in that. Of course, is the the whole AR VR domain, and we talked about the conferencing before and being in front of camera. And do you think in five? And you know, you can even take it to the twenty year kind of path. Are we going to have? 
you know, what's, what are meetings going to look like? What are conferences going to look like? Do you imagine these hologramic conferences, these VR conferences where we're basically at home and we're like, mm, <laughs> hold on, I, you know, I'm coming for lunch, but wait a second, I'm just going to this booth first and, you know, and, and we're actually sitting. Is it like semi-apocalyptic or is it, uh, you know, how do you see that play out, the, the VR, AR in, in conferencing so and business? the applications around AR and VR are, they're already live and they're happening. I, I, I used to work for GE and we used to do a lot of remote training for field engineers using HoloLens and, and similar technology to teach them how to fix an MRI. And you could train a lot more by doing it virtually than by bringing them into the factory to, to show them physically how to, how to do certain things. So it's already happening. The challenge with AR and VR, like many technologies, is it just hasn't reached a tipping point where, you know, I have a friend who is in L.A. and Hollywood, and the, the cost of production for AR and VR is still prohibitively high to make it mainstream. The cost of the devices are also prohibitively expensive to go mainstream. But smartphones were like that at one point. Blackberries were like that at one point. Even cell phones, I remember the day, you know, I, I'm now dating myself. I remember the days when cell phones were kind of this big and it was like the size of a brick, super heavy. AR and VR, I think 20 years, for sure, I would be shocked if that doesn't become a much more mainstream product, that the cost of production goes down just like the cost of production. And what do you think that will do to marketing? Like, uh, you know, you know what these are in 20 years? These are my VR glasses or AR glasses, right? Or you know what? I don't even need that. It's in my retina. Yeah. Um, well, what does that do to so, marketing? So ultimately, you want to catch your audience where they're consuming media, where they're consuming content. Uh, and I think that it will go from being on a screen. Like today, it's very hard. Like Netflix, for example, no, no commercials you pay. So how do you advertise to somebody who gets all of their entertainment on Netflix today? Much harder. You have to find other ways of engaging with them, either through product placement or, or you know, there's dozens of other ways. Yeah. If people are no longer on a computer screen, if they're in their glasses or if they're consuming media as they walk or as they sit in their driverless cars, because of course we don't need to drive in 20 years time because all cars will be automated. Um, or in their hover vehicle as they're hovering over the uh, uh, the cities in their hovercraft, which is also sell, um, driverless, you have to find ways to engage them where they're at in a way that catches their attention, engages them with content that they want to see. I don't think that's going to change. I think the mechanism and means to do that will obviously evolve, but, you know, Digital advertising didn't exist 20 years ago when I first started out in marketing. Um, and, and, you know, smartphones didn't exist. In-app advertising didn't exist. Apps didn't exist. So I think marketers, one thing that and brands are great at doing is finding ways to reach customers in new and innovative ways. TikTok, for another example, you know, starts out as a platform for teenagers. And now brands are embracing that and, and driving their own content at scale TikTok didn't exist five years ago. So I, I think where there's a will, there's a way where there are organizations, brands, companies that need to engage with their customers and make them drive awareness 
inform consideration and drive demand, they'll find a way. I think it's going to be super exciting how that happens inside of HoloLens. So everything that you said regarding advertising and, and AR and VR being a channel that we as marketers will find our way in to tell the story in whatever way, I absolutely sign off. Everything that you say. I'm wondering, and I'm connecting the 20 years, how uh, the evolution of technology to what we started this uh, conversation about, which is, you know, we had, we had a disruption. Corona disrupted our lives, and we as marketers have become the studio uh, and, the, and, the, and the airline of, of the company, right? We, we connect people. Now, 20 years from now, VR and AR, you know what? I'll put AR to the side a second. I want to talk about VR. VR is super evolved. It's somehow, it's in my retina. It's in some simple glasses. It's, it's super cheap. Does a conference like CES, you think, even exist? Do massive physical events still exist? Or do they take on a completely different turn? Let's, you know, what do you think? Yeah, I, it's an interesting one. I think people with like-minded interests will always want to convene in person. Now, it may be that it takes on a different form, that you could have CES 24-7, 365 days a year with immersive content and that kind of platform, and that it continuously changes and evolves. But those that audience who is super interested, those very uh, early adopters, they'll want to get together in person, not just online, because the forums will exist. You know, people will be able to connect in really interesting channels and so on. But I think human be the last 12 months has shown us that humans are really hungry to connect, that humans want to meet in person. There is something special and important about physically being with people who are like-minded to you, who have the same interests, that have um, the, the same hunger for knowledge and, and engagement. I don't think that's going to go away. I think it'll take different forms and certainly VR, AR, video, like we're saying, will play an increasingly big role, but I don't think human interaction is, is going to be ever substituted. It may be augmented, it may be supplemented, but it won't be substituted Um how hungry are people to go back to their offices, for example, after being separated for 12 months? How excited were kids to go back to school when they had not been in person for, for stretches of time? How badly are people feeling when their market needs to go back into a lockdown? Why is that? It's not just the constraint of being in your home. It's because you're cutting off human interaction. And so I think there'll be new and unique and interesting ways for tribes to come together around a specific topic or area of interest. It may be that you don't need to have mega events with a hundred thousand. It may be that you self-organize yourself using com interesting community gathering tools to go and talk about Hardy Davidson motorcycles or the latest VR glasses that, that come in or your, latest exercise equipment because you're a fitness buff or whatever it is that your interest may be, you will find a way to come together and it will need to be in person. Actually, it's interesting. You know, I, 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 would, I would love to think the same. Uh, I'm wondering whether, you know, we and how we grew up is very much driving what we believe, right? But if you grow up 
And I'm not even talking this is even beyond 20 years. If you actually grow up in an environment where this is a, a ubiquitous technology, uh, VR, and it's super advanced, do you still have the same drive to meet people, I wonder? But then until maybe they solve, you know, if I want to try the new VR glasses, how do I do that with my existing VR glasses? Ha, huh, I, found, I found a reason why to meet physically. <laughs> they well, they could send it to your home. They can print they it, right. I can print it. You can 3D print it at home or they can, you know, your drone can deliver it to your house. I, I think there is something fundamental about human beings. And there are many, you know, in the animal world, there's a lot of these type of species as well, which and that need to come together, not just to for the continuation of the species, but also their pack animals humans are are communities there's a reason why mankind went and it's getting a little philosophical way off market but it's also true right because it's about insights about people people came together they formed families they formed communities they formed units and towns and they did that not because somebody told them that they needed to because there was something inside that drove them to that and i think that's that happens today as it did thousands of years ago. And so while technology will take, will replace certain things, I don't, my view, and you're right, it may be, I'm informed by my past and my own unconscious bias, but I, 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 I hope to believe, I hope that it's true that people always want to come together in person. And, and it may be that they don't need a third party brand or organization to bring them together they can do it themselves but i think people always want to come together yeah i i i'm not i'm not even taking it i think to the apocalyptic like we're all sitting in a in a booth on our own and, and living a, a life in the matrix connected to some device yeah. and not having a i think it's going to maybe be more about freedom of where you actually are i think the the old world forced you to be physically in some place to be there and now i can be in cs while sitting on a beach with friends or family or people I want to be with. So I am still the social animal and I'm able to consume quality, realistic content from another dimension, let's call it, whether VR, AR, um, while still being social, but in a, in a more, yeah. you know, in a different context. Well, think of it this way. One of the things I was talking to my, my family the day, the things I'm, what I miss is going to a, a good rock concert. Now, think about that experience. The music quality often in a stadium is not so great. You can get a better view of your favorite artists on a video screen. On a TV. And you can yeah. watch it back and forth. But there's something about being in that stadium with another 10, 20, 50,000 people, feeling the bass against your chest, your ears getting a little sore by the end of it. Everyone experiencing that in real time in the same way. And the energy that brings... I, I think that's, it's not about the quality of the music that brings you there. It's about having that experience personalized for you, but also with so many other like-minded people. And I, I think that things like CES or Hanover Mess, you know, for manufacturing, yeah. there's, there's something about coming together with people who are like-minded that human beings will always, always need. Now, how do you augment that? with technology. So it's potentially 24 seven, 
access all the time, that you democratize the experience for those who cannot. Like the example I gave earlier, I can't get to Seattle due to economics or other physical challenges that I might have. I can still have that experience. I can still be a part of that community without going in person. And I don't miss out. I still get a version of the experience. I think that will happen. I think that will, that will continue to evolve as we go. But I, I don't think we'll, we'll get to a point where it's completely one way or the other. I think it will continue to be more and more hybrid. You know, I think so, kind of to wrap it up, I think you hit on the on the on the uh, on the on the you know the super important topic for marketing, whether it's one year from now or twenty years from now. That hitting the right vibe, let's call it vibe, is what you need, and providing that experience that is not replaced by a technology. It's about a feeling, and you know we at the end of the day we want to feel what we connect to and whether it's a person or a product um this is our job right so i think to kind of if you if you take away everything our job you know cmo to cmo uh, is to make sure that our customers experience or feel why and how they need our product and that's what makes the connection regardless of time and regardless of technology yeah absolutely it's about What's that insight? Why? Like, I think of our, our case. You'd be shocked. There are tens of millions of Windows product fans online who go in and talk about Windows passionately as a Harley Davidson user talks about their motorbikes. There's something inside them that ignites that passion. The, the trick for marketers, I think, is understanding what's that insight? What is it about? what you are marketing that drives that passion and then finding ways to unlock that and find people, find people who that may be a passion. They just don't know it yet. I think those are, that will never go away. That will never go away. That's a great insight. So <laughs> let's, uh, thanks for that. It's been uh, super interesting and philosophical talking to you. All of us. Thanks. Bye. Peter offered some interesting insights into the art of marketing and where he believes the discipline is headed in the future. The marketing industry is changing in a multitude of ways. For one, video is emerging as the unsung hero of the marketing world, and businesses need to upskill and become video savvy if they hope to maintain a competitive edge. What's more, as AI and machine learning continue to develop over the years, more and more processes will become automated. As Peter noted, the discipline of marketing demands a fine balance between the art and science. And learning to master both will bring you great success. Peter, thank you for taking the time to share your point of view. Thanks for listening to Point of View, a podcast by Amdocs. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe, and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for our next episode. We'll see you next time.